Cindy read to me a piece from Our Daily Bread a few nights ago. It was meaningful to her, and she wanted to share it with me. I'd like to pass it on to you this morning. It was written by a fellow named David McCaslin, and this is what he had to say. I quote, My wife purchased a birthday card containing these words from a paraphrase. The Lord has rejoiced over you and has done such wonderful things for you. And that's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 63. He says it was such a beautiful thought that she turned to the passage to read some more. She found that the words printed on the card were only part of one sentence in a section where God warned his people what would happen if they turned away from him and disobeyed his commands. And this is what the entire verse says. Just as the Lord has rejoiced over you and has done such wonderful things for you and has multiplied you, so the Lord at the time will rejoice in destroying you and you shall disappear from the land. (laughs) That's the entire verse. And he continues to write here in this thought. He says, now that would be an unusual birthday greeting. The experience reminded me how easy it is to select pleasant phrases from the Bible while ignoring their context and meaning. The Bible contains words of encouragement as well as words of warning. It's important to appreciate both for their instruction in our walk with Christ. Unquote. You know, there's a lot of truth to that little devotional. We must be careful to see the context of what we're reading. We can get ourselves into a lot of trouble by by taking just a little bit of Scripture here from here and a little bit of Scripture from over here. We must be careful to read the whole message of God lest we be deceived in our thinking. Now, there are some who indeed want to just focus on God's love and God's grace and those passages that would pat you on the back and make you feel good. And I I have to admit to you, I like those passages too. They're encouraging to me. They are quite comforting to me. They, They are what I would call make you feel good kind of scriptures. But we have to remember, Jesus didn't always just pat people on the back and make them feel good. He spoke the truth to people, and sometimes that truth was like a double-edged sword that pierced through to, to the heart. Sometimes that truth was like a hammer that could crush the hardest of hearts. Sometimes that truth hurt more than it comforted. But isn't that what sometimes has to happen to a person before he can find complete healing? If you go to the doctor because you have a severe pain in your abdomen, he may tell you after there has been some test run that you have to have surgery before you can be completely healed. And so in essence, what he's telling you is he is going to cut on you. He's going to hurt you before you can ultimately be free from your pain. And sometimes that's the case spiritually. The truth, like a sword, may 
cut us. It may cut us deep. It may convict us. It may hurt us. But it's that same truth that can set us free and ultimately give to us healing. Luke chapter 13, which is our text for today, Jesus spoke the truth to his listeners. And this was one of those times that the truth was more like a sword than a pat on the back. I want to read that passage to you, and then we will dive into it. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Now, on the same occasion, there were some, pre- some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. First of all, I want to give to you the context of this particular passage. Verse 1, you see the name Pilate is mentioned. And whenever I see Pilate's name in Scripture, I often think back to the time that Cindy and I visited the Holy Land in 1983. I think it was the city of Caesarea that we were in. We were getting ready to unload from the bus, the tour bus that we were on. Our guide, whose name was Joseph, told us to be sure and look at the big rock that was right there in front of us as we unloaded. And he commenced to tell us a little bit about this rock. He said, for years, critics of the Bible questioned whether there was ever a man in Roman government named Pilate. And the reason they questioned that is simply because his name had never been discovered in any historical writings. The absence of his name, they said, proved that he really was not someone who even existed. And in this case, the Bible was not true, as it talks about Pilate in Roman government. But you know, God has a way of silencing the critics, doesn't he? And in 1961, archaeologists made a significant discovery. I have a picture of a rock that they uncovered. It was a limestone rock with ancient writing on that rock. Guess whose name was found on the rock? Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. It says that word prefect is another word for governor. It says Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea. Hear me say this. This book is reliable. This this is the word of God. It's true and it can be trusted. This same Pilate is mentioned by Luke in the text that we just read today. And it's not under good circumstances. In fact, as you read through the Bible, when you see the name Pilate, 
oftentimes it's not going to be under good circumstances. Apparently, Pilate's soldiers had killed some Galileans as they were offering sacrifices in the temple. It was just one more thing in this ongoing saga between Pilate and the Jews. They hated one another. This tragedy was mentioned to Jesus probably under the first century thought that if you suffered in any way, it was because of some sin in your life, as though it were bad karma that was coming back to haunt you. It would be like you and I thinking the recent shooting a few weeks ago in Fort Hood that those people were killed there because they had committed some sin in their life. And that evil was coming back to get them. Or it could be you and I thinking this way. The 16 people that were killed just this last week in those tornadoes that that blew through Arkansas and Kansas, those people must have done something wrong in their life. They had some sort of sin in their life. And so those tornadoes, that was their evil being paid back to them. Brothers and sisters, that is not biblical thinking at all. And Jesus sets these people straight on this. He says, no, these Galileans that were killed, they were not any worse sinners than any of you. The fact is, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He then brings up another tragedy that had happened in that day. A tower had fallen on 18 people in Siloam and killed them. And Jesus says to his listeners, these were not any worse sinners than you. The reality is they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. In other words, tragedies happen. Walls fall down. Tornadoes happen. Accidents happen. They are not necessarily always the result of somebody's sin. It's simply that we live in a fallen world. But Jesus says this, let me tell you. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He didn't didn't waste any words. It was the truth of God like a double-edged sword. And just as it was that way for them, it should be that way for you and me today. We should hear the words that Jesus spoke. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Let me define the word repentance for you. It means to change one's mind and action. It's more than just a change of feeling. Rather, it is a change of thinking. And that change of thinking leads to to a change of living. If a person is repenting of their sins, they are deciding that they are going to die to their old way of living. They realize that their old way of living has brought nothing to them except unfulfillment, destruction, heartache, emptiness. 
And they realize that, that the penalty of death is hanging over their head because of their sin. And so they decide, I need to turn away from my sin. I need to change my life. That's what repentance is. It's actually a military term that means to have an about faith. Of an about face. If I am walking in this direction, living my life for self and living for sin, to repent means to have an about face. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk in the direction of Jesus. I'm going to live towards righteousness. My heart is going to be inclined towards Him rather than to be inclined towards the world. It's a change of living, it's a change of thinking. There, there's a turnaround there. I, I want If I have a problem with cursing, if I'm repenting, I want to try to stop cursing. I want to start saying good things. If I have a problem with my temper, if I'm repenting, I want to try and stop losing control of my temper, and I want to start controlling it. If I have a problem with lying, and I'm repenting, I want to stop lying and I want to start telling the truth. And of course, this change requires His help. I cannot make all of these changes on my own. I am crying out to Him in prayer for His help and for His mercy. Repentance is a personal surrender to Jesus. The song that we sing oftentimes here in worship, that we raise the white flag to Him. We are surrendering to Him. He is becoming our master, our leader. He is becoming our Lord. We step away from the controls and we give Him full control of our life. And in this prayer of repentance, we are telling Him how sorry we are for our sins. And we confess to Him what a mess we have made of our life. And we ask Him to forgive us of our sins, knowing that He is the only one who can do that for us. He's the only way in which we can receive forgiveness. That's what repentance is. It's a change of thinking that leads to a change of living. Let me ask you, have you truly repented of your sins? Have you changed your mind and your actions? Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Well, that's the definition for the word. Let me illustrate it for you. First, I'll illustrate it for you in what repentance is not. It is not what Judas did after he betrayed Jesus. Do you, do you remember what the scripture says about Judas? It says that he was seized with remorse over what he had done. In other words, he felt extremely sorry. He felt bad over what he had done. And he even returned the money. And as he threw that money back into the temple, he said to the priest, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Well, that, that sounds good. But it wasn't true repentance with Judas. The problem with Judas was that it didn't go further than that. He just 
felt bad. He felt regret. His sorrow did not lead to a change of action. And I'm quite sure there are a lot of folks who fall into the shoes of Judas. They feel bad about their sin, but not bad enough to change. The alcoholic feels bad, but he just goes back to the alcohol. The drug addict feels bad about his habit, but he just keeps going back to the drugs. You see, repentance requires change. And it's best illustrated in Peter, whose sin of denying Jesus was just as bad as the sin of Judas in betraying Jesus. But Peter had more than regret in his heart. Peter was broken over his sin. The scripture says that he went out and he wept bitterly. He poured his heart out to God, crying to God for forgiveness. And then, here's the difference, Peter was willing to change his life. And we see a completely different Peter after the resurrection than what we saw before the resurrection. I was reading from Kenny Bowles about the word repentance, and he refers to a man who lived in the second century, a great man of God whose name was Polycarp. He was actually a disciple of John the Apostle, and so we're, we're looking at the second generation of a disciple here. We have John, who was a disciple of Jesus, and then we have a Poly, Polycarp, who was a disciple of John the Apostle. When Polycarp was about to be martyred for his faith, the proconsul of Rome threatened him with these words. He said, I have wild beasts. I will deliver them to you unless you repent. In this instance, he was calling for Polycarp to change his way of thinking. You see, the word repentance was being used in a different way than what we are accustomed to it being used. It simply means a change of thinking a cha- that leads to a change of living. What he was saying to Polycarp was this. If you don't renounce your faith, if you don't go back on your confession of who you believe Jesus is, I'm going to feed you to the lions. And listen to how Polycarp answered He said, call for the lions. For repentance from better to worse is not allowed us. Let that sink in. Repentance from better to worse is not allowed us. You see, repentance for the Christian is a change from the bad to the good. It's a giving up of the wrong in our life. And it's a clinging to the good. Better yet, it is a clinging to Jesus because He is the one who is good. We're not good. We cannot muster up enough goodness within us. And so we cling to Jesus who is the one that is good. Repentance is turning our back on the world and making sure that He is our first love. As I was writing this sermon this last week, my mind just was drifting to to different songs that we sing. One song was one that was from from years ago. 
I have decided to follow Jesus. You remember that? One of the courses of that particular song is this. The world, what? Behind me, the cross before me. And that's what repentance is. It's the world behind me. I'm turning my back on the world and all that it has to offer to me. And I am putting my focus. Dusty used that word focus this morning. I am putting my focus on Jesus. Because he is the one who can save me. And that's, that's the life that Peter lived out. He changed his mind and his action. He put the world behind him and he put the cross before him. Repentance was beautifully illustrated in Paul's life as well. He gave up his murderous ways and he became solely committed to Jesus. And this is what he said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. That's a pretty amazing passage of Scripture. He says that he has counted the whole world and all that the world has for us. He's counted that as rubbish. He's counted it as garbage. If you're reading from the King James Version, he says that it is counted as dung. I can tell this story on my daughter Abby because she's not here today. If she was here, she'd kill me if I told you this story. (laughs) But I'm going to tell it to you because she's not here. You know how oftentimes... In your family, you have, you have a child that just, it, it seems like all the funny stories happen centered around them. And the, and the stories mount up. That's Abby in our family. And I love her to pieces, but the funny stories just go on and on and on with her. And she's always in the middle of them. I will give her credit. This happened a long time ago. She was probably about five or six years old. And the kids and I were walking together in the pasture behind our house. I'm talking the pasture, the farmer's pasture that is beyond our property line. We were exploring. There was snow on the ground. And for whatever reason, Abby got down on all fours and she starts eating the snow. And she's licking the snow. And we're all just thinking it's really funny. She's trying to be funny. And it really did become even more funny as she got down past the snow. And we all realized that the snow she was eating was sitting right on top of a cow patty. (laughs) And when my son Jonathan saw that, I mean, we just all went to pieces laughing. And I've never seen a kid want their mouth washed out with soap until that time. And, and she's never lived it down. And we don't let her live it down. 
And, and that story came to mind this week to me as I read Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, where Paul says in this passage, the things of the world that we love, the things that we cling to and relish, in comparison to Christ, they are like cow dung. They're garbage. They're rubbish. Compared to knowing Jesus, which should be at the top of our list, all this other stuff that we give ourselves to is like cow manure. It has no lasting value whatsoever. You see, brothers and sisters, we must put first things first. And that's what Paul did in, as he saw the light on the Damascus road. He met the Christ and everything changed from that point on in his life. Those things that he had counted as important up to that point, he counted them as like garbage, like cow manure. And Jesus took over the first place in his life and that's where he stayed until the moment that Paul took his last breath. You see, repentance should have a visible change in our life. It's more than just a feeling. Acts 26 verse 20 tells us that. It's more than just a feeling. It's something that we see. It's a changed life. It is a demonstration of the faith that we have on the inside. There's something going on here and it shows up out here in our hands and our feet and our eyes and our mind and how we interact with people and how we do business. And the integrity that we have. The words that we speak are true. They're honorable. How we treat our wife. How we treat our husband. How we interact with our kids. All of that is evidenced by the repentant heart that we have on the inside. It shows up on the outside. That's repentance. And I want you, number four, I want you to see the seriousness of Jesus' words. Hear it again. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now that's the New American Standard Bible. Here's how the NIV reads, the New International Version. It says it this way, unless you repent you too will all perish. Well, maybe the New Living Translation will soften it a little bit. Okay. Maybe, let's see what the New Living Translation says. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. That didn't soften it at all, did it? In fact, it just, it just made it all the more clear. Because the message is the same, whichever translation it is that you're reading from. The New Century Version reads this way, But unless you change your hearts and lives, 
you will be destroyed. We need to understand this is a message that has been preached over and over again in Scripture. The prophets of old preached this message of repentance. John the Baptist preached this message of repentance. Jesus preached the same message. In fact, the very first message that we have of Jesus in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, it's a message of repentance. This is what he said. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so we have John preaching it. We have Jesus preaching it. Peter comes along on the day of Pentecost and he preaches it. Chapter 3, verse 19. This is, this is his punchline. He says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And after Peter had preached it, Paul came along and Paul preached repentance too. Chapter 17 of Acts, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. The early church preached repentance. And so should we. This church right here should be preaching repentance For if we do not repent, we will perish. It's that simple. And I'm not saying repentance is simple. I'm saying the message is that simple. It's that straightforward. It's that serious. If we want to go to heaven, and we don't want to go to hell, then we must repent. Is repentance a one-time thing that we do at our conversion and then we're done with it? Uh, Obviously, no. It's something that we do throughout our lifetime. We continue to repent of our sins because we continue to sin. All of us do. Hopefully, as we change, we'll be able to look back over our shoulder and see some things, some sins that we have overcome. But as long as we are in the flesh, we will have sin that we are dealing with. Therefore, we need to be a repentant, broken people. Here's another question for you as we consider the seriousness of Jesus' words. Does repentance stand alone? No, it does not. It's accompanied by faith. At our conversion... It is accompanied by immersion baptism, according to Scripture. And once you've done that, you don't ever have to do that again, but repentance is something that you keep on doing because we keep on sinning. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And what he's saying is simply this. You will go to hell if you don't repent. That's what the word perish means. You will go to hell if you don't repent. Now, that's not a very popular message today. It sounds so 
intolerant. It, it doesn't sound like a very merciful, loving God. But that's the message that Jesus preached. I want you to think about it in this way. I want you to try to put yourself in God's shoes. And you are giving to the world your only begotten son. That word begotten means the one and only of his kind. You are giving up your one and only son. You are giving him to the world to pay the price for their sins. And he suffers a horrific death. And he raises up on the third day victoriously. And now salvation is offered to the whole world through him. If you're in God's shoes and your son has suffered that much, undeservingly, but he did that out of love and sacrifice for the world, how would you feel towards the world if the world rejects your son's sacrifice? How would you feel if the world trampled on your son's blood? You would feel exactly the way God feels. You would not be happy about that one little bit. And that's how a merciful God can also be a just God. And if people are choosing to trample on his son's blood, he will give them for eternity what they are asking for. Hear the words of the King James Version. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. My encouragement to you today is to repent while you still have time. Turn to Him. Yield to Him. Die to yourself. Wave the white flag and say it this way, I surrender all to you. The alternative is to perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be a repentant people. And if there's somebody here today that's never repented, even for the first time, that you would touch their heart to realize the seriousness of Jesus' words. For so many of us who have said yes to Jesus, may we live a repentant life. In his name we pray.